Well, we are together in worship, but I am not with you this morning in the sanctuary. I'm with those of you on Zoom uh, from my home. I am here because on Tuesday I tested positive for COVID. So I went through a few days of illness and fortunately got the antiviral drug as well. And so that, um, that I think hastened my recovery, although I'm still testing positive and this morning, Mary Ann tested positive. So we are holed up here uh, in uh, the Roar household, but doing pretty well and experiencing not awful symptoms, but kind of uncomfortable ones. So anyway, it's good to be with you. It's a pleasure to have this opportunity to join you today from home. And uh, it sort of puts me in touch with the the empathy for those of you who are worshiping each week on, on Zoom. So Uh, Let's see how this all works out and just wave your hands uh, vigorously if there's some point at which you can't hear me because I have no idea how I'm coming across. So uh, anyway, uh, welcome to worship. We're going to be for six weeks in the 12th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. And like 1 Corinthians 13, what Romans 12 is, is a, a sort of discourse on love. And if our our primary work in front of us as disciples of Jesus is to grow in love of God and love of neighbor, it behooves us to periodically sit down and step back and do whatever we can to contemplate what it is that this love looks like. And Paul gives us a picture of this love to which we are called in Romans 12. And so we'll spend the next six weeks unpacking uh, what he has to say there. And today, we're just going to look at the first verse of that chapter to look especially at the way in which loving primarily means showing up. And so I want to invite you throughout this series to just take some time to read and reread this amazing chapter of Scripture It's one of my favorites, and it's just filled with a a kind of narrative list of things that Paul is so good at in terms of identifying all of these various aspects of of love. It's like he's giving us this diamond of love and and turning the the stone so that the the light reflects off of different facets uh, of that stone. So let's look today just at the first verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, help us to step back and to take in the picture that you're putting in front of us, to sit down and listen to the words that you are saying to us. Invite us today, as you do every day, into a deeper relationship with yourself. And so give us the energy we need to live out of your love and live reflecting your love in our world. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My guess is is that if we were to play a word association game where I gave you a word and then asked you to give me the first word that comes into your mind that is the opposite of that word, that the most common reply to the word love, if I was to use that as the word to engender this response from you, 
the most common reply to the word love would probably be the opposite or the antonym hate. But I think for our purposes, especially as we are discussing the love that Paul calls us to, for our purposes, the more accurate antonym for love, the love to which God calls us, the more the more appropriate antonym would be the word not hate, but the word contempt. And in some ways, I have University of Washington researcher John Gottman to thank for this perspective. John Gottman studies marriages. He has what is sort of jokingly and half only tongue in cheek referred to as uh, has what is called the love lab at the University of Washington, where he simply studies what happens between couples by engaging with couples and, and watching them interact. He studies the way they interact with each other. And one of the things that he's concluded as a result of these various studies, you know, he's made some general conclusions about what helps marriages to thrive and what is something that maybe sounds the death knell for marriages. But one of the conclusions that he has made is that the death knell for a marriage relationship is not necessarily the emotion of hate, but it's the practice that grows out of contempt for the other, a contempt that has grown slowly over time. It's a kind of giving up, a kind of indifference or and indifference to especially exploring a relationship with another. It's basically the belief that you know all you need to know about the other, and what you know about the other is that you no longer want to try to know the other better. You learn how the other responds, and you've experienced it so much that you know how they will respond always, or at least conclude that you do. And you're so sick and tired of that response that essentially your only response is one of contempt. And so, in essence, what happens is you stop showing up. It's an angry indifference, if you will. It's an indifference that's born of hurt. It's born of fatigue. It's not as if it's unjustified, but it is indifference and it is the choice in that contempt to stop showing up. And that's why I believe that Paul in this discourse on love in Romans 12 starts his description of what he calls genuine love with this notion of showing up. And he really calls us as Christians to keep showing up, that it's not something we just decide to do once and for all, but we decide to do it literally every day. And the metaphor that he uses is the showing up of presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, of going all in, of participating in the truth of Jesus, that somehow if we are going to save our lives, we're going to have to lose them, that we're going to have to take that risk of going all in and doing exactly what God did for us in the person of Christ. And there's some words in the rest of this verse that merit some unpacking, that inform what it means to do this work of showing up. And one of the first words I want to point to is that word mercy 
to do these things by the mercy of God, that we don't take the risk by ourselves of doing this presentation of our bodies daily as a living sacrifice. God took it with us as well. We don't take the risk by ourselves. We do so in response to the way in which God has already taken that risk for us. God extended himself toward us in love, pursued us to the point of being like us. He entered our world, experiencing our pain, and opened himself up to empathy for our situation. He's chosen to love us with an indefatigable, steadfast love. That's what mercy is. It's the kindness of pursuit. It's the choice to keep pursuing. The second word that's in this passage that I want to highlight is the word holy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God. To be holy is, in essence, nothing more and nothing less than to act like the Holy One who has extended this mercy to us. It's to mirror back to God what God has shown us. It's returning the kindness shown. And that's really what holiness is all about. It's acceptable to God because it's like God. Holiness isn't merely a matter of striving to be pure and thus acceptable to God as if we have to prove something. It's not about kindly wiping our feet before we enter the temple. It's a matter of reflecting back to God the light that God has shown on us. It's what the scriptures mean when they say, be holy as your father in heaven is holy. That sounds like an impossible task, but it's basically just mirroring back that which God has given us already. Next, we've got the words body and sacrifice. This love that Paul calls us to in Romans 12 is an act. It's not merely an affection. It's not merely the expression of a desire. It's a bodily act. It's something that we engage with our whole person. Genuine love, as Paul talks about later in Romans 12, is actually integrated love. It's love that puts body and soul together. It's love that is more than a feeling. It's love that is more than an affection. It is an affection put into action and shown forth in concrete acts toward another. It puts body and soul together. And something we do as a reflection of, of who we are, basically. It's the result of a transforming work that God has done for us and, and in us. That's where the body part of this comes in. But then the, the part of sacrifice comes in as well. It's a word that scares us because it's, it's a violent word, potentially. It's a, a word about knives and, and blood and, and death in some of our minds when we hear it. But sacrifice is the result of experiencing a sacrifice made for us, as Paul talks about it. An act of gratitude for a gift that we could not have given ourselves. But it's still a sacrifice. It's still a, a choice. It's still a choice to jump body and soul headlong into the waters of God's love because we know we have nothing to lose 
But listen to this. It's also because we know we have everything to lose. It's a risk because it's a sacrifice. Sacrifice is also bringing the best that we can offer God. It's the best we can offer because it's what God has offered to us, and we offer it back to God. We reflect it back to him. And Paul calls this an act of worship. He says, for this is your spiritual worship. You know, we often think of worship as singing praise and expressing our emotional feelings toward God in the context of worship. But Paul says, no, this is a life lived daily, a life choosing to go all in and reflecting back to God what God has already given to us. This bodily act of of showing up, this jumping in, is spiritual worship. It's acceptable worship. It's reasonable worship. It's it's bringing all of oneself to this work of receiving and giving love. And it's not about transcending a wicked body or becoming perfect, but it's about inhabiting our bodies in in a new way where we're reflecting back to God what God has given. So the the bottom line here is that the love about which Paul writes is, as my preaching professor Ian Pitt Watson used to say, it's, it's about the love that makes the loved one lovely. When I heard him use this expression for the first time, it was in a sermon illustration that he gave about his daughter. And the family had gone somewhere where his daughter had been given this little rag doll that she absolutely loved and that uh, she wouldn't part with. And it became her favorite thing for years on end beyond that time of receiving the gift. And so as that happened, the doll, as Ian Pitt Watson said, became more rag than doll. It was loved to a point of a a well-worn shape and did not resemble its its initial beauty at all. It's kind of like the Velveteen Rabbit story, if you will. But she just loved it all the more, even though her love was also kind of eroding it away, if you could, if you could say that. And you couldn't see her loving that doll and not also, as he said, grow in your love for her, his daughter. Because the doll and and the daughter were one in some ways. Love that makes the loved one lovely. That's the genuine love that Paul is talking about. It's what we're called to. But we're only called to it because it's the way that God has loved us. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, help us to hear your voice and to respond to your love. It's an offer you never stop giving. It's a hope you never stop laying before us that we might continue to grow in the height and breadth and depth and length of the awareness of this unfathomable love. Help us to do just that by the power of your spirit and so be empowered to love not only you, 
but also one another. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.